Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers, using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like School districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice? curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Welcome back to another episode of Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow and I'm so happy you are here. 
Today, we're going to talk about something that actually kind of like confused me when I first started practicing more exclusively in this field 10 or so years ago. And that is the idea of like different psychologists. You know, I have thought a lot in my life about um, what I would have done if I hadn't gone to law school. Just as an FYI, I lived my entire life wanting to be a teacher. I always say I still went to be a teacher. Um, and however, I got to my first um, week of teaching and I was like, I hate this. <laughs> what can I do? And having had a mom that was a teacher and a dad that was an attorney, I was like, well, every and I have like a billion attorneys in my family, big family on both sides. And so having a thousand attorneys was aunts and uncles. I thought, well, everybody I know that's an attorney is super smart. I guess I'll just go to law school. I'll get smarter and I'll figure it out from there. And then I started practicing law and I do love my job. But, you know, I oftentimes think, what would I have done if I was not practicing law? And truly, if I had thought, I mean, I, I think the hands down answer is occupational therapy. But something else that has always interested me is psychology. It was literally my first class in college. I had a professor with super sweaty armpits and this really weird pause. He would ask a question and then he would put like his thumb against his four other fingertips and he would hold his arm out like he was holding like a heavy tray of water, like a server with a heavy tray of water, like out to the side with his hands in that weird shape. And he would put his other hand on his hip and look down at the floor. He would ask a question and then he would look there for like, I mean, 90 seconds probably. And I was so fascinated by him, but also like super duper interested in. And so the answer to my question is, I kind of wish I had gone to OT school if I had gotten in. And I also think I would have been super interested in educational psychology. Now, my interest in special education has always existed. And I loved going to the self-contained classrooms when I was a teacher. Because I have just always totally been interested in human nature. And in the schools where I taught, actually, the, the children that I would go visit needed quite a bit of social supports as well. And so I found that I could be helpful in there. But anyway, psychology. I'm super interested in how a child's profile, how their neurological and psychological and medical and other components to their profile impacts their learning and their functioning, their behavior and their medical health and, and how all of those things kind of go together. I just think it is fascinating. My um, big kid Griffin is taking AP psychology right now. And I, for the first time ever, am like helping him with homework because he's got a really heavy course load. And so I'm helping him study. I'm quizzing him and double checking things for him and that sort of thing. And I'm always like, oh, do we have psych? Because I can't wait to work on psych. But still, even with that background, the first time I went to a training in special education, people started talking about like, well, the first thing I would do is I would get a neuropsych evaluation. And I'm like, what the heck is a neuropsych evaluation? What? Like, I don't understand what neuropsychs do. What is a neuropsychologist? So today I want to talk about what a neuropsychologist is, what they do, 
how they can help you on special education. And we'll compare them to educational psychologists because I also think that people are like, what's an ed psych? What do they do? How is that different from a neuropsych, et cetera? So that is our goal today, to talk about neuropsychologists, what they do, and then also to talk about educational psychologists. I don't know if you can tell a difference, but just in case you can, I do have a pretty nice outline for this episode. So if you think like you aren't really into it when I just start talking or you aren't really into it when I have an outline, that's a little wording for you. Okay, so neuropsychs, what are they? They are a type of psychologist that specialize in understanding the relationship between the brain and behavior, right? So we understand that psychology involves a lot of components. And a lot of that is the chemical makeup of the brain. So what's happening in the brain and how does that affect our behavior? Now, don't forget, when we talk about behavior, we are not only talking about problematic behavior, like, you know, calling people cuss words or throwing furniture across the room, but we're also just talking about human behavior, like ticks or, you know, having to wake up every day at seven o'clock or like scratching our noses, all, all of our behavior. So any kind of behavior. Okay. So these people, neuropsychologists, are kind of experts in assessing and diagnosing cognitive functioning, emotional functioning, behavioral functioning, particularly in the context of how the brain works. So like the biophysical uh, components of the brain's operation. It is important to note that neuropsychs can work with people of all ages, not just kids, not just adults, but people of all ages. So neuropsychs have kind of a reputation for working only in the autism community. And I am here to tell you that that is not true at all. In fact, I think as the field grows and as we understand more about human behavior and mental health and the chemical makeup of our bodies, I think that we will have more people that are looking for neuropsychological assessments and for treatment with neuropsychs. Okay, so how does that differ from a clinical psychologist or an educational psychologist? Okay, so neuropsychs focus on understanding the relationship between the brain structure and the chemicals in the brain and the function and then how that impacts behavior, cognition, emotional functioning, that kind of. Educational psychologists, the people that work in schools, the ed psych that works in your school, or there's obviously also psychologists that have degrees in ed psych, they're working in private practice. Those people specialize in the intersection of psychology and education. So the academic or the functional impact of the, the psychological things. So they really study how people learn and how they develop within educational settings, within school settings or other educational settings. And then critical psychologists, the people that are, that sometimes they're in schools, but we kind of like stereotypically think of them as outpatient psychologists. They are more generalists. So they're like your GP right? They are like your general practitioner, your doctor, your internist, or that kind of person. They will do mental health assessments. They'll do therapy. They can provide kind of a wide range of treatment for emotional, psychological issues, arguably academic as well. 
And, you know, there's a lot of overlap here, but that's kind of like generally speaking or stereotypically what they all do. So an assessment from a neuropsych is going to include cognitive neurological stuff, stuff that, you know, is going to look at learning disabilities, brain injuries, neurological disorders, autism for certain learning abilities. An ed psych is when they do assessments, their assessments really usually focus on cognition, academic functioning, and behavioral functioning. And so more like to provide insights into educational strategies. Then a clinical psychologist assessment is going to look more into mental health things like depression, anxiety, personality disorders, that kind of thing. So, you know, when we look at assessments, can we get more from a neuropsychological evaluation than from an ed psych evaluation? Sometimes, yes, because what I say kind of colloquially is because they're looking at brain function and then behavior, all kinds of behavior, like our, our general behavior, our adaptive behavior, our behavior in across different settings, all of those things, then I think my experience is that neuropsychs will kind of geek out a little bit more. So they might start with your IQ test and your academic tests and your and your adaptive behavior tests and executive functioning and that kind of stuff. But then they're going to go a little bit further to be like, why? Why is that a thing? Why is that happening? And so our assessments are going to go into a little bit more detail and they're going to be a little bit more... Uh, specific to the person, like, hmm, that doesn't jive. What other test can I do here? Or this is interesting. What test can I do to look into it more? So I feel like when we get neuropsych evaluations, they are a little bit more detailed and a little bit more, they give us a little bit more information kind of globally about not only academics and behavior, but kind of like all of our brain function. So that is why I like to get neuros evaluations. I oftentimes have neuropsychs do evaluations as IEEs. Don't forget that's a parent right. So if the school does their evaluation, which they are entitled to do every three years, at the beginning of special education and then at least every three years, or if somebody requests it, then, and if the parents disagree with that evaluation, then they have a right to have the school pay for an independent educational evaluation. This is a right the parents have under IDEA in special education. And the reason for that is it levels the playing field, right? Like, I don't trust the school's evaluation. I want to get my own. The evaluation should be the foundation of the IEP, right? Like, we should be building the IEP on evaluation data, progress monitoring data, curricular information, that kind of thing. So I like to get neuropsych evaluations because they go a little bit deeper. <laughs> That's what I generally so let's talk a little bit more about what neuropsychs do specifically. First of all, when you first see a neuropsych, you're probably going to expect a comprehensive assessment. And that would be to diagnose and to understand cognitive functions, neurological functions, behavioral function, all of those things that are leading to your child's specific behavioral profile. And oftentimes that'll also include their learning profile, especially if that's what we're looking for. So we're going to look at those cognitive tests like IQ tests, and we're going to look at academic tests, and we're going to look at behavioral tests, and we're going to look at 
executive functioning. And then, like I said, we're going to dive deeper, right? So like, where does language play a role in this? Where could executive functioning, you know, how does that intersect? So we're looking at a lot of intersectionality. We're thinking a lot more about stuff like, you know, okay, so we've got interesting working memory. What else can we do to test memory and then think about how memory is going to affect performance in the classroom or or performance with behavior or any of that stuff. It's real cool or real, real cool. So based on these findings, then neuropsych information, the, the information from their report with their evaluation shows can then come into special education, right? So we can take that information, whether it comes from an IEE or it doesn't, and we can say to the school team, I'd like for this to be considered. Here's what we found. And let's talk about these. And then we can put that into our present levels of performance and other behavioral things. We can put it into a BIP. We can look at it when we're doing an FBA. And that can then be a part of the IEP. So whether we do it as an IEE or we do it outside, we can bring information from a neuropsych evaluation and have it be part of the IEP. And the teams can talk about that. Neuropsychs can also provide treatment and they can definitely provide treatment recommendations. So I've had a, a lot of neuropsychs start off with IEEs and then be like, you know what, I recommend that we do um, treatment to address these, the intersectionality between these two components, whether it's like working memory and pragmatic language or whatever, um, to, help with, to help with behavior generally. I don't think I've ever had a neuropsych propose treatment to, to help with academics, like neuropsych treatment to help with academics. But another thing that I love about neuropsychs is they're going to say, okay, we can address this with OT. We can address this with speech therapy. Maybe we need to work on pragmatic language or expressive language because that's a real huge component to our behavior. They can recommend specific academic interventions or interventions to address some of those behavioral components, like interventions to work on working memory or interventions to work on our processing speed and, and that kind of thing. So Lots of times they're making recommendations that include others, right? And I'll tell you, you know, we're, we talk a lot here on the podcast and in special education kind of all together about interoception kind of being the eighth sense, right? So in sensory processing, there's a lot of research that's coming out about feelings and our ability to feel our feelings and to, to label them and to then come up with skills and strategies to ameliorate the effects of uh, sensations or feelings that are causing us to have problematic behavior, right? So like, I feel busy. I feel that anxious feeling. I feel like a tornado. I feel, you know, that anxiety that kind of fuels you, but then it like goes to the next level. And if you don't have anxiety, you don't know, but speaking from experience. So the information about interoception is super cool. So what do you do with it? Like, all right, so we've got real problems with identifying our feelings, labeling them, identifying skills and strategies to access them, knowing how other people might feel, amending our own behavior because of the way other people might feel, all of those things. Well, we might need language. We might need speech for that. We might need occupational therapy. Might need that for that. We might need psycho psychological counseling, right? So a neuropsych can help us kind of like create the right path. For my own, Jack, that's something that we're focusing on quite a lot. And we are going to OT, we are going to speech, we adjusted some medications, and we went to the doctor. And we also went to a few behavior sessions with a clinical psychologist 
And that was all kind of what Cincinnati Children's Department of Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics, we call it DDBP, what they recommended. And so that's what we did. I did not think psych helped very much with him. I think uh, OT was just about ready to click and we landed back on the darn waiting list at the end of our session. And I think speech has been the most helpful. But that's true. Could be different for somebody else. So then what do neuropsychs do? Like, what if we want them to continue to stay involved? What if we're like, gosh, you provided so much information. How can you continue to stay involved? One thing is they can help you monitor progress. So you can go to a neuropsych for consultation and be like, all right, what do I do next? And then they're going to help you decide what to do next. And they might say, try this and report back to me. Try this and report back to me. So it's possible that you could continue to work with a neuropsych, but not have the neuropsych you know, providing the therapy, but rather provide skills and strategies. And then you, Jen, I'm sorry if you're watching me. I'm looking for chapstick and it doesn't look like I have any. So, oh, well. So that's one thing. Another thing that they can do is they can help advocate. So they can come to your meetings. They can talk to schools. They can write letters. They can talk to your doctors and your other therapists. They can talk to your clinical psychologists. They can participate in advocacy in many, many different levels. So a lot of your practitioners, not just neuropsychs, but a lot of people, you can pay like hourly. You know, I don't know how much it'll be, 150 bucks to probably 600 bucks an hour, depending on where you live and their experience and, and whatnot and their billing model to come in and, and advocate, come to your meetings and and. Like, gosh, wouldn't that be exciting to have your educational psychologist from school and your and your private neuropsych really kind of geek out about your kid and push and pull on one another and, and you know, kind of humbly uh, challenge one another with advocacy strategies and information about your child. And then, of course, they can do therapy themselves. So they can provide interventions, they can help with strategies, they can do actual therapy, whether it's coping skills, emotional regulation techniques, behavior management, all of that thing as well. So even if it's just for evaluations, I am a big, humongous, ginormous, what's another one? I don't know. Big, huge fan of psychologists and neuropsychological evaluations because I just think they can bring a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of information into your child's special education programming. So I hope that helps. And I hope you learned something today. I have a little bit of an announcement. Um, next, in the next um, quarter, we are going to do a parent series in the podcast. We've never really done this. We're going to talk to a bunch of parents. We're going to have a bunch of episodes um, that kind of talk about like lessons that specific parents have learned. I've got somebody talking about um, a big revelation that she had that helped her as a caregiver. Sorry, kitchen construction. I have somebody that is talking about Let's see what's another one. Oh, I got, oh, I think Griffin's going to come on and talk about some research that he's doing in one of his classes. It's good. It's good. The, so he's not a parent. Maybe we should call it the family or the caregiver series. Now, see, I was going to put Griffin in there. Anyway, I don't know. I'll think about it. But we're doing a series that's going to involve people that live with kids on IEPs and if you would like to be one of those people, if you've had some epiphany or you have some specific knowledge, we all do, right? Hit me up. Send me an email. 
shoot me a, a DM on social media and we can talk about it. I usually, I always do vet these, of course. So I'm not guaranteeing that you'll be on, but I would love to chat with you and see if your particular story or idea might fit into the past. Okay. I will see you next week. Same time, same place. Have a great week.